0: Hello, now in the last episode on the podcast we met David who was the client and owner of the Owl Woods Passive House. So this is a family home located in Victoria and David shared what the journey has been as the homeowner and client in this project. So if you haven't heard that episode make sure you check it out. Now, in this episode, we meet Talina Edwards of Talena Edwards Architecture. So Telena is the architect on the Alwoods Passive House project, and it didn't start out as a Passive House project, and Talina didn't start the project as a Passive House certified designer either, but that's what she is now and that's what the house is now. I think you'll learn a lot from hearing how Telena talks about the process of working with a client, understanding their wants, needs and aspirations for their home and her responsibility in bringing that to life and how she's worked collaboratively with the client on this project and other team members to deliver this family their forever home. So without further ado, let's dive in. So join me now. Now before I jump into the interview with Talena, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. So this is a supercharged way that you will get ready really fast for your renovation or building project in the best way possible. In it, I share a proven step-by-step system I've used in over 250 projects, including my own, and it will help you save time, money and stress in your reno or build so that you can know what you need to know and and be able to create the perfect home for you simply and with confidence, avoiding the drama and the heartache. Now you can join now and get access immediately to the course and to a fantastic Facebook community, live Q&A sessions with me and all the tools and resources that you need to achieve success in your project and create a home that feels fantastic. So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more and to join us. Now, let me introduce to you Talena Edwards and Talena Edwards Architecture. So Talena Edwards Architecture, Elemental Design Studio, they're passionate about creating healthy, beautiful, functional, comfortable, and sustainable architecture. The practice has a passion for design that improves people's lives for residential, community, and commercial clients. Talena strongly believes that the high quality design of our built environment has many positive impacts for people and the planet. Telina established her architectural studio in 2013 after more than a decade of working as a registered architect with, um, with Melbourne Practices who excelled in sustainable architecture. Now, Telina recently became qualified as a, certif- a certified passive house designer, which is an international standard to deliver the healthiest, highest performing and lowest energy buildings in the world. The standard is heavily based in building physics, as we've been learning about, uh, for proven performance. So Telina embraces this scientific, rational, and practical side of architecture, as well as the more core creative and intuitive approach to design. She employs a holistic and collaborative approach that is responsive to the whole picture, while careful consideration of all the small important details. And she's very interested in how the principles of biophilic design, which we've talked about on the podcast before, if you're not familiar with biophilic design, make sure you check out the episode that I did on the Amazon spheres, because I talked a lot about biophilic design in that episode. So she, she's really interested in how these principles can be applied to architectural projects to improve our well-being uh, by connecting to nature. Now, Talina recently attended the Living Future Institute 2018 Symposium. She's committed to this ideology, which aims to redirect our future towards a society that is socially just, culturally rich, and ecologically restorative. Talina is hugely engaged in her local community, in the architectural community, and in the sustainable design community as well. Um, When I read how many members, like how many industry boards and organisations she's an active member of, and what a huge advocate for her local professional community she is, I was blown away. And I'm going to pop uh, on the blog all of the amazing professional affiliations that she's created and the things that she set up outside her architectural work. She is one busy lady. And Telena really loves sharing her love of all things in elemental design, so green buildings, sustainable architecture, healthy homes, and natural living, by uh, writing articles, exhibiting at smart living and building expos, and giving presentations to her community. On the weekends, she loves spending time amongst nature with her partner, her children, and their playful puppy. As Telena knows, this is the best way to slow down, and reconnect, and maintain a sense of well-being. And I just want to add a note right here because uh, this is Telena's bio as an architect. And I think architects fail miserably at uh, a lot of the time at giving us a really great picture of not only who they are as designers and professionals, but who they are as people. When you work with an architect or a designer and you choose one for your project, it's you're entering a relationship and you really want to know that the, the people that you're getting into the boat with for uh, creating you know, this beautiful home that you're dreaming of, that they're people that you're going to see eye to eye with, that you're like-minded. And that can involve understanding understanding. understanding some personal characteristics and qualities of who they are as people as much as who they are professionally. So for all the architects, designers and other professionals listening, take a note from Delina's bio because I think it gave us a really good um, picture of who she is and how she might uh, you know the kinds of people that she relates to and who she'd work well with, and I think you know you as a homeowner listening, that's the level of understanding and uh, and connection I think that you want to make with your professionals um, as you're starting to sort of search out who's going to be a good fit for you and who you're going to want to have on your team. So you know I I um I think it's fantastic that uh, you, that Talena's bio is written that way. Now I'm going to also include um, a link in the show notes. Um because Talena's got some great resources that she's shared with me because she wants to help you really understand designing building um, and renovating your home in a sustainable way and she's also got a great PDF download that you can grab so I'll talk more about it at the end of the episode but make sure you head to the show notes because those links will be there so let's jump into my interview with Talena and we'll learn more about the Passive House and particularly the Our Woods Passive House project. Now, Talina, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's actually so exciting to be speaking to you in person because you and I have communicated over email for oh, it's been ages now and we've been watching each other's work. And, uh, and yeah, it's lovely to be able to have this conversation with you because you've been um, incredibly helpful in introducing me into the Passive House community and a big part of making these episodes happen. And I'm really, uh, I'm also really excited to be bringing your perspective as the architect involved in this project and as somebody who has then gone about getting your certification in Passive House um, and really been on that journey as well. So I think you're going to be able to share a huge amount of wisdom uh, and knowledge and expertise with the UA community. So before we dive into the Alwoods project itself, can I just ask you, when people ask you what is Passive House, how do you describe it to them?
1: That's a a great question. I suppose the first thing that um, we often talk about is the almost no heating and cooling. Um, And in the area where I live in regional Victoria, we get very cold, um, more like a Tassie climate often. Um, So the idea of practically no heating and cooling, people go, wow, is that even possible? We're just not, you know, we're used to living in our wooden tents. Um, We're 30 years behind the rest of the world. So we mainly talk about that comfort, um, but also the health a lot of people come to us wanting really healthy buildings uh, so that's a, a huge part of passive house and um, yeah the the energy efficiency, but just the comfort really the comfort is what sells it for a lot of people.
0: yeah, it seems to be um, one of those things that's really about that protection and maintenance of the internal environment and being able to control that internal environment in a way that house design and house construction doesn't generally allow you to unless you unless you employ those passive house principles. And that's something that's been becoming really evident as I speak to people about passive house. And I think the UI community will become more and more aware of as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, um, a saying that's come out of the states with um the passive house movement over there about build tight and ventilate right and they're sort of employing that across a lot of buildings not just passive house and certainly we're moving in that direction as well because yeah we're just living in such drafty homes you want that control of being able to open windows when you want to when it's nice outside but when it's not shut down and and keep comfy inside
0: so Talina, can you just talk to me about what actually happened? Um, you know, we've already met David uh, on the podcast, and uh, he's shared with us his journey as the client that was embarking on this process of of deciding to do a passive house. Uh, for their new home what happened when they approached you initially and started talking to you about working with them for their new home and wanting to have a sustainable home and get the design to work for the orientation of the block how did that kind of conversation and process go because I know they didn't start out necessarily asking for a passive house but it's of course where they've ended up
1: yeah it was an interesting one with David and Yvonne They were based in Melbourne um, and I'm regional, so they contacted me for a feasibility study and a bit of a site review on a different site. That was sort of the first step. And so I hadn't actually met David and I went out there um, to look at this block and, you know, assessed all the opportunities and constraints, did some background research. And I thought, oh, it's a bit small. The views are to the south. The neighbours at the front are really close up on the northern side. Um, you know, of course, architects can make anything work. We like a challenge. But I actually thought it wasn't maybe the best site for what they were hoping to do with this, you know, sustainable home and a tree change. Um So I was really honest with my feedback and I always get nervous about being so honest at times because it can be, you know, uh, crushing people's dreams when they think this is the one, we're going down this path. But I just said, look, we can make anything work. I'm not sure though about these couple of things. Um, And I thought, well, you know, the project might, I might never see them again after giving that feedback. But uh, David really appreciated my honesty. We kept in touch and he soon found this other site and, yeah, got in touch again um, and we all felt this one was much better. It was the right site. Um, And I don't often have people come to me pre-purchase. Normally an initial sort of site review and a consultation is after they've already purchased the site. So this was um, a slightly different approach. Um, And, of course, they were keen on a bit of a tree change, they were slightly downsizing, Um, you know, their adult children were all sort of moving out of home and we always talk about how sustainability means different things to different people. Some people are really um, interested in earthy or local materials or being all off-grid, being healthy, uh, net zero Everyone's slightly different, usually in their passive house approach. Uh, so, sorry, <laughs> in their approach to sustainable design. Um, so it certainly wasn't going to be passive house back then. We just knew it was going to be uh, sustainable, and we often talk about then what that means for each each client. Um, you know, in that initial, initial process.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it's actually a really good lesson right there in that conversation of how critical it was to have that conversation with you before they bought that land because they've ended up being able to create a result in a far more straightforward way than if they had bought the south-facing block. And as you say, we can pretty much make most things work, but it, it requires obviously higher Um, Challenges, you know, speaking to Mm. um, Cameron and other guests that's coming up on the podcast, you know, he acknowledged that their block faces south to rear and so that had to make certain decisions about the windows in their extension in order to not be losing boatloads of heat out of glazing that had a visual connection with outside. So I think that, you know, it'll be interesting for for the UA community to hear that it is possible to have a chat to an architect before you're looking at your block of land um, before you're making that purchase, mm. and it's a very small investment given the size of investment you're about to make, you know, and the commitment of a couple of decades sometimes to living in this location. So, when the choice, I feel that yeah, we sort of get ourselves on when we're buying land or we're buying houses, we get ourselves on a train where we forget that we get to determine the timeframe a lot of the time, but we feel like we have these yeah. deadlines in our head. If we want it done by X, we need to, that means that we need to get the block of land because if we miss out, opportunity might not come up again and you know we sort of burrow ourselves into these tunnels where we don't give ourselves a lot of options and we forget that we're actually the ones driving the process so it's um yeah, yeah. it's a really good piece of advice i think and so when as he started to have that conversation with david and Yvonne about okay what does sustainability to mean to you what you know what does that mean in terms of your house design the as we said the alwoods passive house didn't start out as a passive house how, how did that, you know, that conversation start to happen in terms of actually going, okay, we're going to make a commitment to this being a passive house? What, what did that look like?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's it's sort of coming up a lot um, because usually if you just des- decide to um, design a passive house from the outset, um, a lot of passive houses are a rectangular box because that's really easy. If you've got a smaller perimeter, it's very very easy to insulate that well and have a condensed, you know, um, building envelope. And I think they say the one of the most um, sustainable efficient building envelopes would actually be a sphere which is not that practical so yeah sphere cube so and rectangles rectangles a box like in the brief david and yvonne specifically said we don't want a huge mcmansion we don't like a block a a box plonked on this um generous site we um and we have that with a lot of our uh regional clients and rural areas who have got a larger site, you actually want to be carving out some outdoor spaces and um, creating some interest to the building form, but it's it's all about it being super functional. So in the initial design process, we always go through the brief um, in a lot of detail. They'd said about the just enough house, so not tiny but not excessive um, and having multiple uses for spaces, flexible rooms, um, one thing they did say initially, they thought they wanted a U shape, um, and some clients come along with this sort of idea about what they think they want, but as the more we sort of, um, you know, uh, delved into that, what they meant was that when it sort of, the zoning separated and these sort of outdoor rooms. So we offered, I think three, we do often a number of concepts early on. So I think probably three concepts and, they, they loved this one because it was about sort of these pavilions or these uh, sheds on the site, but then these separate outdoor spaces. And when we did go down the path um, of you know deciding to be Passive House, we did have the question, should we go back and change the design? And they were adamant, no, we love this design. We know it might mean a little bit we, we had to put in a little bit more effort to get to Passive House because of the perimeter. Um, and, if you know, if you see an image of it, you'll see that with these courtyard spaces cut out, there's extra external walls. So all those walls have to be really well insulated, um, and that meant we had to put in a little bit more insulated insulation and triple glazing instead of double glazing if it had been a rectangle. Um, so that's sort of the initial design stage and what we do at the end of the sketch design stage I like to talk to some builders early get on get them on board then uh, both David and I went out and met a few builders we wanted to see who might be the right um, the right team for us all and at the end of the day after visiting different builders different homes they'd worked on talking to their clients um, David was very keen on um, Stuart. And I'd not worked with Stuart before, but I'd been in touch with him and I loved that he had a commitment to sustainable homes and he was a certified Passive House tradesperson. So at that point we decided, yes, we're going to have Stuart. He's going to work with us. This is at Sketch Design, so not at the end of documentation, quite early on, Um, but we decided then and so there was no Stuart didn't push the Passive House agenda. He just said we are going to make sure this is really sustainable but let's all explore this. Let's see is it possible to go down that path um, and that's what started that Passive House conversation.
0: Yeah, oh, that's isn't that awesome that it actually came from the builder saying there might be a better way of doing this, you know, this is what I've experienced and this is how, you know, and we're going to be having Stuart on the podcast as well so I can't wait to share his point of view because... I think that's mm. that's the thing and it's been so clear from all of my conversations with the team around the Alwoods Passive House is that this has been a team approach. This has been, it's required everybody to be committed and on board and curious and exploring this idea and then seeing the benefits and also taking, you know, a little bit of an informed risk. Um, you know, David was joking mm. that his neighbours, because I asked him, what are you nervous about? And he said, oh, you know, his neighbours have said, is it really going to be warm enough in winter? And he said, well, if it's not, I'm going to be around at your house, you know. So <laughs> it is it is it is it's that fine line of being, you know, you're not the early, early adopters, but this still isn't mainstream. So it's, you know, it's that, that process of knowing that the software can really um, help you predict the performance of the house in a really accurate way, but then trusting that the software is telling you what you really need to know. So... I think that that's quite, um, yeah, it's quite fantastic to see how this team has pulled together. And so then you've got, obviously, I'd love to just hear a bit more about that sort of initial approach, I think, to give the UA community an insight into, you mentioned that you do the three options They came to you asking that they you know wanted a U-shaped house, they wanted a just enough house, which... You know, at that lifestyle stage, I, I, you know, speak to and work with a lot of clients who've got adult children leaving, but they know that they're not necessarily leaving permanently, or they're going to want to welcome them back with their own families. They also want to have people come and stay, but they don't want to feel like there's just two of them rattling around in an enormous house that they have to maintain. You know, they're used to living in a bigger home, so they don't want to go to this tiny little box. Um, and they're, you know, particularly with this where they're moving to a, a larger site and don't want to have this dwarfed little home sitting on this large block of land how how did you go about kind of thinking through that process of what was going to suit these clients and where you know even proposing the pavilion style as in the first place what what if you can talk a little bit about how you prepared those options and what was your thinking about servicing those clients and their needs
1: yeah I suppose this is diving into the uh the creative process and the,
0: the workings inside an architect's
1: mind it's a messy place in there <laughs> um
0: (laughs) jumping into the rabbit hole aren't we um (laughs)
1: Um, I spent I always uh yeah meet the clients out on site early on you know that's our first step um I won't skip that step meet them and talk through all their ideas I have a comprehensive questionnaire that they fill out with um everything and then we put that into a brief and then I I really dive in and um ask lots of questions to make sure I really understand what their parameters are, what what it is we're working with, um, or what I believe they are, because as I said, sometimes what they think they want um, can be interpreted in a different way. So it's then a a site analysis looking at all the site constraints, um, orientation, views, uh, is there water, sewer on site, all those, uh, you know, town planning restrictions. This one has a bushfire overlay, so we're at BOW 29, um, which is sort of in the mid-range but heading towards the higher end. Uh, So all these were considerations, uh, you know, where the neighbours are, where the the road, the access, all of that. Um, And so our three options, which is normally what we sort of come up with, all try and provide an answer or a design response to that brief. It's not usually about form or what the building looks like in three dimensions at that first stage. For us, we like to show it more about um, the floor plans, how it's going to function, how you enter, where are you going to park the car. We have discussions around, is a garage necessary? Is a carport enough? Do you need an extra bedroom? All of that. And in fact, this house initially had a mezzanine level because there's views kind of in all directions and we've been careful about screening out neighbours and focusing on where you see trees or see sky but there is a forest sort of um, some native bushland uh, at the back of the site and the mezzanine they were interested in exploring that option so they could you know pop up there and get the views back so at the end of sketch design stage we did have a mezzanine and um, they sort of Then we we got some initial pricing and we thought, oh, it might be a little bit higher than where we were hoping it was going to be. And they said, you know what, we don't need the mezzanine. We're going to cut it out. And that's really rare um, for a client to say let's go smaller. So I was actually really proud of them that we'd have all these (laughs) conversations around do you need to go bigger because so many people just go, I need more, I need more, I need another. And you know the conversation around three toilets. Do we really need three toilets? Um, all of that, and I, actually, I think we did end up with three toilets. We tried to have two, but it didn't didn't work functionally, so we gave them three. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the mezzanine did disappear um, because they yeah they realised that it wasn't necessary that. It's only 200 square metres, which is on the smaller side. Australian homes are generally over 250 is the average size. So it is slightly smaller, but it still has its three bedrooms and an extra sort of study study space, two living areas. Um, we've built in a lot of flexibility and functionality and um, you know, multi-purpose uses within all those spaces.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that, that message about... Um, the just enough house and the exercise of restraint required to, because I find that a lot of people go, I'll build it just in case. Like it's the, we're here, we might as well, um, you know, we can put the extra room in, it'll matter for resale, you know, and you can get yourself caught up in all of that. But if you're stretching your budget so that it then gets thinly applied to the spaces you're actually going to use on a regular basis and you can't have them really how you want them to be, it's a that's where I think true compromise is happening. Um, and so... I, yeah, I think that that it's, it is, it's really impressive that they said, no, we don't actually really need it. Um, And it'll be interesting when they move in and, and um, I'm sure that, you know, when I look at the, the, and we'll put the floor plan on the website. um, But I, you know, you can see that how this home will ebb and flow for the different demands of lifestyle that get placed on it. It's going to be, um, you know, I actually can't wait to see them move in and just test it over 12 months and see okay. how it does, um, you know, how it does accommodate those different lifestyle demands because you can, as an architect, you know, I, you know, you and I can look at it and we can anticipate and know that it's going to perform well for those different things. And as a homeowner, it's a big leap mm-hmm. of faith, isn't it, to, to sort of trust that the floor plan is going to deliver mm-hmm. what they hope for it. Um, and that questioning process that you have is really essential, I think, for listeners who are speaking to designers if you're not getting questions back from your designer of what did you mean by this you know I'm interpreting that you're asking for this is this really what you're asking for have you thought about this is this Mm -hmm. a deal breaker you know do you really do you really need this or is Mm -hmm. this a you know is this just a nice to have that 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 they because that's the only way you can really make sure that you're all on the same page isn't it so
1: Yeah, yeah exactly I I find that when I present these three different options Um, I always talk to clients how important it is for them to listen to their gut feeling when they see those options about what they initially straight away get excited about or what they might kind of you know, irk about because those responses are really important and they tell us a lot and sometimes they can describe early on with written words or with a conversation what they want in their brief but until they see it laid out in front of them, they often don't know how to respond. So that first sort of concept stage, we find it really is about exploring and um, yeah, understanding what the brief is until they see it. I don't
0: know either. <laughs> That's very true. And I think, you know, um, and this is a bit of a sidebar, obviously, from the conversation of Passive House, but that process, like you're, you, you and I are very similar in that we present options because as a designer, you're making so many decisions on your client's behalf already when you put pen to paper and you draw lines and you shape rooms that to be able to show them the options and say, well, you asked for this, but did you realize in asking for this, that was going to mean X, Y, and Z? So in this option, I've shown you, okay, you can have X, Y, Z, but that means that this is going to look different. And because you can't, it is yeah. a client, a homeowner can't understand how much they prioritize something until they see the, the cost or the compromise that might have to be made elsewhere to achieve it. So yeah. it is, um, yeah, I think that getting options from your designer straight off the bat to help you, then you're starting at the bottom. You know, I often say that you're starting at the, the at the wide end of a funnel, and, uh, and you know, you've got to explore, make a lot of explorations to be able to move further down the funnel and narrow down your options. Um, and the wider the the wider that base is, often it's it can be confusing and overwhelming at first. But it's important that you sift and filter through those options to make sure that you are arriving at the pointy end, having explored, you know what you what you needed to to be happy with the result.
1: Yeah, we're we're always um, explaining when we first met clients how important it is during that sketch design stage that we can make as many changes as we like. It's as you say, it's drawing another line or erasing this or moving it in CAD or changing it in our three D model. That's really easy now. Once you're on site and it's being built, if you go, "Ooh, let's change that window," let's it's so expensive and so difficult and has so many follow on ramifications that we really like to explain get it right now in your 3D modelling, in your design and you've got so much more flexibility. And the 3D modelling programs are so great now. You can see all your shadows and walk through and really feel like you're inside the home. Um, We just, yeah, everyone loves that stage. We love it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Now, you've actually since starting this project, the Arwood's House, you've achieved your Passive House Design Certification. Now, it is a, it's a it's a relatively short course compared to an architectural degree, but it's it's a very it's a very challenging course, from what I understand. Why did you go about? Why was this important to you to get your Passive House Certification?
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose I've been following. Um, I, I first heard about Passive House back in. Um, probably from Grand Designs and, you know, in the UK because it was a bit bigger in Europe first, of course. So that's where my interest first um, came years ago. And then when I started my practice about five years ago and I was trying to find other people out there doing similar things, which is when I came across um, your blog too, Amelia, was um, finding the Homestyle Green podcast, Um, by Matthew Cutler Welsh out of New Zealand. And he was interviewing people all over the world um, about sustainable building, green homes, eco-design. But the more he went on, all of a sudden everyone was starting to talk about passive house. And before long it became more of a passive house blog. And so I was following this journey in line with, you know, I've always I lived in a pretty much passive solar house growing up. My university degree was all about sustainable design. Um, you know, that's where I placed the focus and I've only ever worked in practices doing completely sustainable homes. But once I learned about Passive House, I just thought, oh, this seems to be the right way. I've got to do this. And then when Stuart came on board and the clients then decided, hey, let's let's turn this um, this project into Passive House, I was really excited by that. But at the same time, even with all the knowledge I'd had about the general principles I still had that um imposter syndrome of I'm a fraud I'm not certified am I allowed to be here <laughs> which is which is you know creative you know creative types can get that um and I've learned that's clearly not the case we, we want everyone to go out and build a passive house and it's just about surrounding yourself with the right team who've got the expertise to help you through but having you know gone on this journey um I didn't expect with raising a family you know young kids and running a business i'd be able to commit time to this course for years and all of a sudden the stars aligned and i was able to do it and my colleague mia also did the course so there was the two of us Um, and we just the timing was right and we just thought we want to do this we want to know the behind the scenes the building science really understand it so that we can help explain that um, to our clients and explain the benefits and we both passed, we're both certified and um, now we just want to build lots of passive houses.
0: Yeah, I think it's so exciting and it's, it, what I'm loving is mm-hmm. being able to explore this topic in such depth from so many different perspectives on the podcast. You know, you've connected me into this community and, you know, everybody's so generously sharing their expertise and knowledge to give the UA community a fantastic insight into it. It does come across as a very science-based You know, sort of a lot of numbers, a lot of definitions and terminology and that type of thing, which I think can be off-putting to people initially when they think, oh gosh, this is a bit nerve-wracking. Am I really going to be able to understand this? Did you find as you were learning it that it was like, Oh, my brain's too this is just too it's taxing me, it's (laughs) it's just I can't learn anymore? (laughs) Like how did you how did you kind of balance and navigate that for yourself?
1: I actually found the two weeks really refreshing to sort of take a break from family life a break from work life and just purely focus on this study um you know I haven't studied in this way since university 20 odd years ago um whereas uh Mia you know she graduated last year so for her her I think she was um cruised through it much easier than me because she was still in that mindset I had to go back and um revisit some physics principles but once things are explained like people get really scared about numbers I think but once it's explained and you understand not only um, you know here's a physics equation but what it actually means in real life and um Cameron uh, was in our course who I know you're speaking to as well um, he was excellent to have in our, um, like our classroom was really sharing of knowledge. Cameron gave us a lot of information about his house that he's been living in and his experience. I was able to share our experience um, with this project. Uh, There was others who'd had um, Passive House experience as well and some who had never, never really knew at all what it was. So it was a big learning curve for them. But um, our teacher, Daniel, was so passionate and so great at explaining things in a way that made sense. Um, It was actually yeah, really, really fine. Really great. (laughs) Recommend
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that, um, it is, it's one of those things that I've noticed once you start to learn about it, I can see, I can see how quickly everybody that gets involved in it becomes very passionate about it. So, um, it is, yeah, I can see that this is going to light a lot of people's fires and be the kind of thing that they really want to pursue in a lot more concrete way. Um, so, Now, David, he spoke about the process of finding you as his architect, you know, and and he actually said, you know, um, ultimately, it's about finding somebody that's a good fit and then trusting them. To do their job, and move you, you know, and and to um, ask questions when you don't know, uh, and seek their support when you need more help. You've you have built this beautiful, trusting relationship both with your client and together with a team, which I think is um it's the ideal scenario. And a lot of homeowners unfortunately don't find it with their professionals. Um, and for me, it's the gold standard. It's what everybody should be seeking to find, and not and knocking on doors until they do get that that sense that they're going to be able to build a trusting collaborative relationship. How, how do you actually think this has happened? How have you fostered this and how have you, you know, as an architect, what, how do you seek to create this with your clients?
1: Um, I suppose it really is about being open and honest, um, admitting when you don't know, <laughs> know things. And I'm, I'm the first to do that. And I think sometimes... Um, you know, there's a perception that architects can be egomaniacs and um, maybe some of them are. I'm sure they give the rest of us a bad name. But um, I, you know, will say, I don't know, but let's find out and we'll, we'll talk to the right people. So I'm really honest about that. Um, but as you said, it was about finding that and the right team and um, the trusted builder, um, making sure that the clients were the right fit. And sometimes too we have clients approach us and, um I don't think they're the right fit and I have to have that conversation so it works both ways and I also often explain to clients it's a little bit like dating that we don't want to jump into marriage <laughs> um and they always sort of blush and go oh what are you talking about but it, it is it's a big commitment to engage an architect, and we always start out with a few dates to start with to make sure everyone is happy with the right fit you know a few meetings and conversations just to make sure that we're um you know the dating is okay before we jump into here's a marriage proposal and let's uh build a house together because it's um <laughs> it might be uncomfortable but it it's a good analogy um because uh, you you want to make sure that everyone's comfortable with that relationship. You're going to be spending a lot of conversations, a lot of time together over a couple of years, usually.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good point. So, now you mentioned that your interest has been in sustainable design. You've you've obviously had some background in your you know your education through university, but passive house is quite different um, because of the mm-hmm. principles that are driving at this whole of building system what what's really been your I suppose the things that have surprised you or your key learnings that are really the point of difference that you know you think people will need to really wrap their heads around to understand the guts of sustainability in a passive house sense?
1: Yeah I think this is really important um, to sort of reflect on Um, and I've got I think four key learnings and the first one Already been mentioned, but the right team. The right team is crucial. Um, We all need to be on board with the same goal because if the client or the builder or I were not interested in going down this um, passive house path, then it would not have happened. We have to, you have to make sure that everyone's on board um, and yeah, that's crucial to the success of the project and whether that, you know, and that applies to any project really. You want the same goal at the end because um, then everyone's working towards it. Um, so that's a simple one but the the next one is about the science, the building science um, and you would, you'll hear this more I'm sure from the other people you're interviewing who are more from that mechanical engineering and that science background. But running the data through the Passive House Planning Package to prove the performance is absolutely key because the six-star energy rating does not really give us proven performance. It's still really just a guess. Um, And after all my experience of growing up living in a well-designed home and um, building all these amazing environmentally friendly homes, we're still just taking a guess at the end of the day and I don't like that because I've, I have clients who say well should I put in the hydronic heating or won't I need it well I need more shading and we've got lots of tools um, and things to help us but at the end of the day it's, it's normally still a guess until Passive House came along and now <laughs> it's not a guess anymore which is it really gives um, sort of that guarantee and um, customers their clients love that because they know what they're getting. Mm. so um the next one was that uh about it being a holistic approach and this has come up with it we've got a number of projects on board that didn't want to go down this passive house path but wanted really sustainable homes and we always have this conversation around um well let's make let's have continuous insulation that keeps us comfortable so you've got Um, not only to the roof, but the walls and the floor. We want um, our nice esky. So if you're going to do that um, and then you start cutting holes in it for windows, then you want to make sure you're putting in good windows because the best windows ever, um, the triple glazed windows work out about R1. And if you're building walls that are, say, R4 for your insulation value, R1 is so much less. There's still a weak spot, even if they're triple glazed. So if you're putting in good windows, and spending that money, you want to make sure that they're installed properly. They need to be airtight. Otherwise, you're wasting money at the the gaps that are around the windows that often just get covered up with architraves. So then when you're spending money on windows and making it airtight, you may as well make the whole building airtight. And then of course, if you're making the whole thing airtight, you need controlled ventilation. You have to put in your um, mechanical ventilation to keep it healthy. And so by the time you sort of go through all these steps, You've basically got a passive house, so um, we're finding that's where we've found it difficult with some clients who said, "But I don't want to run the data, and I don't need to go down that path." But we're still guessing now. We don't know: is there going to be thermal bridges? Are they spending twenty thousand dollars on a heating system that they might never use? Are they? Go- it's all these questions up in the air. So I just, I know if they can <laughs> actually do it properly then we know. So um, that's a huge key learning and it's a conversation we have all the time, like how do you, otherwise you can't predict that performance. Um, and if you do, if you just, if you don't do it holistically and just pick and choose a few things to do, you could end up with um, real problems um, with mould or rot in the walls or it's actually really frightening if um, you sort of skip steps and that's what we learned in the course about how even, like, a, a centimetre gap in an insulation could really have um, a drastic um, drastic consequences. Um, but there is one more learning as well. Um, because this is all about building science um, and it's data-driven and it's really rational and practical, There's that's sort of that engineering side almost. And I love that. I love that it has this proof. However, it doesn't mean that we can ignore the other side. We can still really have, um, you know, architecture that responds to heart and soul. We can have our biophilic design and this um, really great connection with nature and really respond to how people feel in their home and daylight and views and, um, yeah, that connection, uh, you know, the senses, all of that does not have to be pushed aside if you're following the building science. You can do both and that's absolutely where, you know, we're positioning ourselves to, um, yeah, that left and right brain, have it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's actually the Alwoods um, Passive House has been a beautiful exploration of um just what is possible because it's as you say if you'd started this as a passive house you probably would have designed a rectangle um and you know daniel did say look you're living in boxes don't resist the box but it's (laughs) it's um it's a it's a different exercise when you go well i want this lovely pavilion design that has a beautiful indoor outdoor connection i know i want to create These outdoor rooms and courtyards and have zoning and sense of separation be able to shut down part of the house you know and feel some intimacy in spaces and you know all of those kinds of things that you have in conversations with clients about their brief and then you say well it's a passive house it has to be a rectangular prism you can see why there would be a resistance in the take-up but that's I love that that you've been able to marry together we have this tool this incredibly powerful tool that keeps getting updated and renewed in the passive house um, you know the phpp and we then have the the skill and ability and creativity that we can put into the design to make sure that it's a house that feels great that we feel great in that delivers on all of the as you say the heart and soul of the home and we're going to know that it works we're not just going to be guessing we're going to know so I think when you're making this size of an investment it's uh you know for me i think and we're going to talk a little bit about affordability in a tick because i can hear a lot of homeowners going oh it's all really great we're going to need boatloads of money for this triple glazed windows windows are you kidding me but it's you know i think that it is going to be different requirements based on the climate that you're in so obviously you guys where you're located you're, you're talking like you know quite extremes in your temperature ranges and you know if you're trying to achieve a completely you know a house that doesn't need heating and cooling then that's going to have different demands to somebody say in Sydney or in Brisbane or in Perth. So I think that or in other parts of the world. So I think that it's um, I love that you've pointed out that this isn't just about the geeky building science side of it, you know, Um, and, and in the States they don't, they don't talk so much about passive fast. They talk a lot about building science. They don't talk about sustainability. They talk about building science. They're actually very real and open and honest about this being data driven stuff And, you know, and, and then the home design is, it sits alongside that. So, just on that did you find any of this limiting for your creativity was there a point where you went ah oh, I can't I can't do this I want this window to be here and I don't want it to have a hood and I don't want it. <laughs> well like how, how did you how did you kind of juggle that process you know so or do you think you were kind of you almost escaped it a little because you started kind of the design that you wanted and then you know that satisfied the brief and then you've managed to make it work in a passive house sense.
1: Yeah I suppose we do, because we did it backwards. <laughs> um it, of course it would have been easier at the outset to know it was a passive house in terms of meeting the criteria but in terms of creativity um I don't think it's been limiting at all. Um nothing really changed in the design. Um all the all the benefits of the Building science stuff—it's all kind of hidden. Like at the end of the day, you won't see most of it. Um, so it's not been limiting. And I think if anything, I find as a creative that um, architects like parameters to work with within, because um, that's how we find creative solutions. So whether that's you know your site constraints or the um, the council or uh, you know, bushfire regulations or the brief, we like to respond. We, we like our. <laughs>
0: I so <laughs> um, agree parameters. with you. So yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good point. We do like, the, yeah. I find that the tighter the, the problems I need to solve, the more fun they are to explore, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, so now um, I wanted to talk to you about affordability and this was actually something that you brought up um, prior to us jumping on because, and I think it is a really important conversation to have because... You know, the UA community have all different budgets when they go about um, tackling their building or renovation project. I know that when you go through, for example, the Sustainable House Day website, you'll you know some of the houses there listed, they have what the sustainability measures have costed as a like as a up pricing on the budget. And so some homeowners might look at that and go, gosh, that needs a hundred thousand extra th- dollars. I'm not, I don't can't access that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's also the balance of obviously those upfront costs to your long term running costs and whether you've got the opportunity to make that assessment as to what the value is in paying more upfront to save down the track. Um, But how, how do you broach that sort of idea of affordability and thinking about Passive House being accessible to as many people as possible?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a tricky topic because um, Passive House is still so new in Australia and early adopters do always pay a bit more of a premium. Um, you know, we see the same things with things like solar panels. So the prices come down on those and it will come down with Passive House as well. It's just that there's still... Um, you know not that many built and um, the prices that are coming out uh, our builder Stuart will be great to um, answer this probably in more detail because he's worked on a number of projects of different um, scope um, and size and approaching it in a different way um, but certainly with this project it was one of the our higher budgets. We do work with um, lower budgets as well. But things like the windows were a huge ticket item and they are in all um, passive houses because we want to get it right. Um, as I said, this one was triple glazing, but most of Australia you probably don't need that. Double glazing will be fine. Um this was for this particular climate and for this particular shape and size of house. And the other thing that pushed up the prices for windows here was the Bell 29 rating, um, which meant that we had to have, um, you know, a uh, toughened glass because of the fire risk. So that pushed up the price of the windows as well. Um, but there are other types of passive house windows that are, you know, half the price of what these are. Um, definitely what you said about, the idea of the the savings over a lifetime, the energy to heat and cool most homes um, is so much more than any of that embodied energy or the cost, you know, the embodied energy the materials are using to build the home or the cost um, over its lifetime. So there's so much uh, you're going to be saving, you know, for 60 years or something if you're staying in the home, Um, but it it is more up front and... I've uh, heard through the passive house conferences and things there's a lot of data coming out that is being shared with the community that it might be ten percent more than a standard build um, Other figures are saying it's around three thousand a square meter um, but that can be three thousand for a standard custom home anyway like it's it is it can be comparable and it's we often have that conversation about building a bit smaller but building smarter or um, putting in less built-in joinery or less expensive fittings or claddings, or um, you know, we've we've used some roof, roof trusses, which, or you know, we just explore all those options for affordability with each and every client.
0: Yeah, and I think too, um, as the cost, I mean, electricity costs are definitely rising. Um, I noticed when that first started to happen probably 10 to 15 years ago that it started to become, particularly in new construction, started to become a marketable edge that Mm -hmm. the house had lower running costs and those types of things. I can see definitely as time goes by and we potentially get shifts at policy levels as well that it does become a marketable edge that a house might only cost X amount to run. We do have this approach Mm -hmm. and, you know, spoke about it with Cameron that, the way that we go about maintaining our indoor air temperature is to consider air conditioning and heating, rather than thinking about the building mm-hmm. envelope itself. And so, um, it is really—I suppose—it's just challenging for homeowners who are thinking, "Oh, yeah, look, I'd really like to do this, but how do I weigh up the cost of all those decisions?" And again, that's mm-hmm. that's really—you've spoken about the critical importance of the team obviously Stuart was on board early Mm -hmm. and could help you assess the cost differences and the impact on the budget of certain decisions that were being made and having that collaborative uh, informed approach means that you can make uh, design decisions in alignment with your budget as you keep moving along the process and honing and resolving what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. To have that um, collaboration early on really was key to talk through decisions and we have the whole way through between client builder and myself, just so that we always got the best outcome. And we went through a lot of um, very open book costings to make sure it was really clear um, and where we you know, could swap things out or have alternatives. So that's always been great. And I mustn't forget when I'm talking about the whole team that we did have a certified passive house consultant on board throughout the whole process as well. Um, because I wasn't certified at the time. He's been the one doing all the data and I know you'll be speaking to Luke as well, um, but he's he's uh, been great, really helpful with us understanding what we needed to do to turn it in from a normal house to a passive house.
0: Yeah, I spoke to um, Luke's coming up on the podcast, but I actually did speak to him um, prior to speaking to you and it was really interesting hearing him talk about just that iterative process of, okay, this is what the design looks like, let's punch it through the program. Let's then feed back that into the design, then let's punch that through the program. And so I think it's really unique, that data informing the design and the design, you know, then feeding back into the data. And um, it's, you know, I've spoken about this with other, um, other you know, in the other episodes that we, we do have a really quite, old-fashioned way to approaching construction in Australia Um, and it's similar Mm. in other parts of the world. Residential construction is being done fairly similar to the way it's been done for a long time. We're getting better with material choices. I know in the States there's actually been the advent of a lot of fantastic building materials that are helping with waterproofing and thermal wrapping of the house and you know making those homes airtight that we haven't necessarily Mm. taken up so much here in Australia. I know with Australia we're very spoiled with good weather so we don't have to worry about building just within summer and having it all you know um, done by winter time so we haven't obviously mm. taken up, you know we've we've got the benefit of knowing that we can take you know nine months to build something and it not be too much of a drama weather wise so it's I really love that there's potentially this opportunity to disrupt and do a different and better job with how we build and renovate our homes mm. to create longer lasting more durable thermally efficient, protecting, comfortable buildings um, that cost less to run mm-hmm. and um, help us feel healthier and, and um, in our homes. So now I had a last question for you as an architect's question because um, I actually had a client joke with me recently um, uh, that seeing... The homes that we've designed to get finished must feel see like be like seeing our children grow up and leave home because we <laughs> I don't know about you yeah. but my clients' homes yeah. are dancing around in my head all the time and uh, you know and it is you sort of do feel like you're giving birth to these things <laughs> and, and seeing them come to life. What are you you know this home's going to be finished and built and they're talking about end of January being the time that they're moving into it. What are you most looking forward to seeing this home finished and the end of this adventure? You know, it's been a big journey for you. So, what, what are you what are you most excited about?
1: Well, I think that is a, a great analogy because we do put our heart and soul into our projects, and um, you know, we live and breathe. Um, this architecture we don't switch off it's not a nine to five job we are constantly (laughs) thinking about how to improve the designs and how to make these things better so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, David and Yvonne move in they've been such great clients and um, they've been so happy with visiting the site and seeing it um, progress over the months that yeah it's going to be great to see them moved in and living in there. It's not just yeah a construction site anymore. Um, but they've been so generous with opening up for Sustainable House Day and um, being interviewed. And um, they've really been sharing their experience with others because that's how they learnt about um, what they wanted from a sustainable home as well. And so I'm actually really looking forward to also that continued sharing of knowledge and getting other people um, passionate and excited about um all these homes that are you know healthier more beautiful functional comfortable more sustainable um and you know i'm I'm really grateful to them for being so open and um, sharing in that way but also amelia i'm really grateful to you for the amazing service that you're providing in to all the homeowners about sharing all this amazing knowledge with how they can improve their homes and yeah live
0: better oh Talina, thank you so much look i can't thank Mm -hmm. you Um, Talena was just critical in pulling together I contacted Talena and I said hey do you want to jump on the podcast I know you're doing this project love to talk to you about Passive House it was going to be one episode um, where I was going to dive into what Passive House meant and Talena um, then said yeah love to and then that Talena then managed to pull together everybody agreed that they were willing to jump on the podcast and speak with me so um, and then Telena connected me into more people so that it's just been such uh, it's just been such a gift to be able to crack open a part of the industry that some homeowners may have only just heard the term and not really understood what it really meant. They may have confused it with passive solar or passive design, um, you know, and to just be able to give a really great insight that's meaningful um, to anybody who might be considering this as approach and to have this as a resource that people can then go back and revisit and really think, okay, is this for me? This is what I need to do. Everybody's been so generous and I can't thank you enough for the help that you've given me in connecting me into these incredible professionals um and and in also sharing your knowledge and expertise so it's been lovely to speak with you about this home congratulations because it's uh, just i can't wait to see it finished so uh, so yeah we're all gonna move in (laughs) and david david actually offered up that he um we should do a 12 month revisit with him to see what it's been like living through a whole year and uh and see We've, um, we've been joking sort of across the episodes that um, I think it was Daniel actually that initially brought it up because of that misconception that you can't open a window in a passive house and, uh, and that theres there's a head office somewhere that an alarm goes off when somebody opens the window. so we'll <laughs> test, that. <laughs> test that test that out with um, David and <laughs> see how he's going with how often he's. <laughs> he's found that in his in the system of his house. But yeah, it's been such a joy to speak to you. So thank you so much, Teleno. I really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you so much, Amelia. It's been great.
0: I really do hope that you enjoyed that interview. I think Talina and I could have kept talking for ages about working with clients and helping them create Um, projects, and the excitement and the enjoyment that we get from working collaboratively with homeowners and professionals to provide a great experience and a result for everyone. You know, this is definitely a team sport. Everybody brings their skill and expertise, and when that is incorporated in a respectful way, uh, it's just amazing what it can do for projects. Now, as I said earlier, Talina has some additional information that she wanted me to share with you. So I've popped it on the Undercover Architect website, and it includes more information on what drove the concept for the Owlwoods Passive House, as well, so you can understand more about the design ideas behind the project. Um, and she's also generously shared a series of really useful resources with us, too. So you can see more about the Owlwoods Passive House under construction. She's got um, links to where you can see photographs and things like that. And you can learn more about sustainable design. So head to the show notes, the links will be there. They'll send you to the right place on the Undercover Architect website so you can see all of that for yourself. And uh, I also mentioned earlier, Talena's created a really great resource um, that you can download, which will help you debunk Passive House Myths. And you can grab that from her website. All right. Now, in the next episode, we're going to talk with Luke Plowman of Detail Green. So Luke is the Passive House Consultant on the Owlwoods Passive House Project. So because Talena wasn't certified as a Passive House uh, Designer at the time of designing this project, that was something she went on as, as we heard and did sort of later Luke actually came on board um, to assist in the modeling and the reporting, and he'll be explaining more about how that process worked and his role on the team. So remember to head to the show notes. I've got all the links there that you need. And in the meantime, please share this podcast with any friends, family, strangers, (laughs) anyone you... (laughs) pet dog. <laughs> um, you know anyone who's planning on building or renovating their homes and particularly if they need to learn about sustainable design or they want to create an energy efficient home. Uh, I'm really passionate about the information that we're sharing here and how to make it as, as accessible as possible for people so please be sure to shout it from the rooftops okay. Now if you'd personally like some knowledge and support and guidance for creating your future home remember to check out my online course how to get it right in your reno or new home. It's uh, it's just a really fantastic way that I can support you in getting the knowledge you need for your project. So whether you're really early in your planning or you've decided to really put the pedal down and start really taking action and perhaps you might even be designing it or working with a designer on it. Um, You know, it's a great time to join. So Melanie, who's previously done this course, she said, being surrounded by like-minded attendees and with your valuable insights and information, you gave me the confidence to ask better questions of our team of professionals. Your summary pages, including the schedule of fixtures and fittings and the spending and saving your budget, there are a couple of the bonus resources that you get, uh, she said, is my go-to for inspiration on a weekly basis basis so the course uh, it gives you access to you know the lessons uh, that lay out the steps for a successful building and renovation project it also includes a private Facebook group with monthly live Q&A sessions with me there's a library of tips and strategies key tools and resources and so much more to help you save time money and stress in your project so head to undercoverarchitectcom forward slash how to get it right to learn more about what's included and to join right away As always, thank you so much for listening to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.